Hey there, thanks for the download of the stream. Thanks for listening, I should say, to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. And I want you to know the best way to support this podcast is to use Stitcher Premium. Of course, Stitcher Premium is this amazing service, very, very cost effective, like five bucks a month, $35 for an entire year. And here's what you'll get with Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Every episode will get posted every Thursday morning, but the difference is they will be ad-free. No more advertisements on this podcast if you go to stitcher.com slash not Sam. You will get as a bonus every two weeks and a new episode coming out this Monday, as a matter of fact, my brand new show. It's called Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast Captive Audience. It's where I take somebody that's close to me in my life but doesn't necessarily watch wrestling and I make them watch wrestling. They're held captive for an entire show as you watch along with us. You can turn on your WWE network and you can watch as as we watch in real time one of the pay-per-views on the WWE Network that I will have to explain uh, in great detail. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we watched Uncensored 95 with my wife, Jess, and I had to explain it to her. Uh, we also watched WrestleMania 9 as I explained it to my dad. And he tried to figure out why there were two doinks and how come Hulk Hogan's coming out when Bret Hart's over here. It's a really, really fun show. There'll be a new episode this coming Monday. And the only way to get it is to be a part of Stitcher Premium, which you can sign up for right now at stitcher.com slash not Sam. If you sign up for Stitcher Premium at stitcher.com slash not Sam, you're also going to get access to every Stitcher show that has premium content. All of them. And you won't need to pay extra. It really is an amazing service. It's really cost effective. And you'll get an exclusive show from me, Captive Audience, at stitcher.com slash not Sam. Now, it's time to start this here show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, as always, for being a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Really is amazing that we've uh, been keeping this thing going for as long as we have, all with the support of people like you, so thank you so much. A lot to get into this week. I was uh, very appreciative of all the feedback I got from last week. By the way... Last week's interview with Luke Harper is going to be up on YouTube in no time at youtube.com slash notsam. And I thought it was really fun listening to all you guys uh, who were surprised at the sound of his voice. That's what I got a lot of from people who listened to the podcast last week. I had no idea that Luke Harper's voice sounded like that because he really is very affable when he's not one of the Bludgeon Brothers. But boy, did the Bludgeon Brothers have a week. Man, oh man. Did the Bludgeon Brothers have a week? Well, we'll get into it uh, this week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. They were a big part of Fastlane, which I was a small part of as I hosted Talking Smack and was a panelist on the kickoff show, which I will get into probably in the bridge segment here on the podcast this week. But in our interview segment, uh, we have a very special interview, I'll say. It's not exactly an interview. My friend Wade Keller is back on the show today. And it's not just to talk about wrestling journalism. I think I'm, I'm kind of tapped out on that subject. I think every all parties involved have made their points, and now we can just go back to watching wrestling. Uh, I wanted to talk to Wade Keller and have him on the podcast this week because I, I'm really intrigued. I'm interested in the WWE's buildup for WrestleMania. It really feels 
it feels organized to me. It feels well orchestrated. You know, I, I think Fastlane, and we'll talk about Fastlane in the uh, uh, in the state of wrestling, but Fastlane delivered in the sense that it really did start the SmackDown story of what exactly WrestleMania is going to look like uh, in four weeks. And it on, this week on SmackDown, we furthered that. Raw is furthering stories. I, I think it's a really... It's a really great time to be a WWE fan. There are a lot of people, and I talk to, I feel like more and more every year, who just jump on board to WWE between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. There is a type of fan who is the Rumble to Mania fan, which I've never related to because I think it's fabulous all year round. But certain type of fan just watches between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. And I will say that this is a good Royal Rumble to WrestleMania so far. Royal Rumble was great. Uh, Raw has been really good as it leads towards WrestleMania with, uh, you know, people were very happy with Elimination Chamber. Uh, SmackDown, you know, it had its weeks where it was a little bit rough, but it's starting to really heat up. The Shane McMahon story is cool. We'll talk about all of it in the state of wrestling this week, but before we get there, it was the build to WrestleMania that I wanted to talk to Wade Keller about because it's always, it's always a conversation worth having. You know, you think about, uh, how you were feeling about WrestleMania going into it last year, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, and how it's different every year. And I always feel like our expectation for our anticipation, it's a little slam poetry for you, increases every single year. And I don't know how 100% fair that is, but I've been public on Twitter about my uh, approval for most of what's gone on as we lead to WrestleMania. Some people uh, have not been so happy, and I thought Wade Keller would be a great sounding board for some of this stuff, and I was very, very curious as to what his opinions on the matter would be. So, this week, in the interview segment of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, uh, we talk about the build to WrestleMania as I pick the brain of the one and only, from the PW Torch, Wade Keller. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, here back on the show for, I don't know, however many times he's been on, uh, a guy who I've said many times is one of my favorite people to talk to about wrestling, ladies and gentlemen, Wade Keller. How's it going, Wade? Sam, it is great to be back. It's it's uh, WrestleMania season, and every day at work is an adventure. <laughs> and of course, uh, before we get into WrestleMania season, because we absolutely will, uh, we spoke about my uh, previous uh, stuff about the wrestling journalism and, and my stance on it. And I kind of, you know, I sent you a message about what I had said in case you hadn't heard it, but it was literally what I had said. And you kind of got my point and, and we, I would have had you on the show that I had Bixen span on, but you were busy. And also I didn't think it was a legitimate thing to say, I'm going to have the wrestling journalism debate with a guy who's, you know, my friend in this thing, as opposed to a guy who I don't know, you know, does that make sense? Well, from what I hear off record, you hate David. So it was a perfect <laughs> isn't that journalism just making stuff up? <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's how I've, uh, I, I've understood know, it to be. Off topic, you're going to introduce our third guest, your do- the, the barking dog. You could hear her, right? Yeah. 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 It's cute. <laughs> my, my head, my headphones pick up stuff that doesn't end up on my podcast. I have like these crazy good Headphones, so I don't know if others are hearing it, but it's 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 a fun background. <laughs> it's, symphony it's, of a symphony of enthusiasm. It adds realism to the yes. whole uh, to the whole thing. Well, Wade Keller, uh, I'm glad that you're on because uh, you're one of my favorite people to talk to about wrestling. You've been 
watching and analyzing this stuff for so long. And I think it's interesting, you know, before we really get into it, when you talk about wrestling journalists and whether that's a real thing or not and and how you define that, uh, I think you're an interesting case because in our conversations, you talk about a time when WWE maybe treated guys like you more like journalists in the sense that you did get access where I think that now the debate that rages on is that that doesn't really happen anymore with uh, with wrestling websites and and newsletters and things like that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this: I don't I don't define uh, journalism uh, in wrestling on just whether w, through the lens of WWE. Because right. I mean, when I started, I covered and I don't know twenty six promotions. Uh, at times, WWE was number two. Uh, in terms of of popularity, at times there were three or four companies that were e- that got equal amount of time and attention for my reporting. So it, I've done this for over thirty years. I don't look at like how I cover WWE as the be all end all in terms of whether whether I'm doing journalism. I'm not doing WWE journalism. I'm doing pro wrestling industry journalism that that spans much larger than just WWE, including non WWE history. The other thing is is I certainly don't define what I'm doing based on the access that the people I'm covering give me. Right. So if WWE says, well, we're not going to respond to you, like say maybe the Golden State Warriors front office responds to their beat writers, we're not going to give them the access because we don't think they deserve it or or there was this time that, uh, whatever, you know, whatever the reasons I have, that doesn't define me either. You right. Know, so, so what defines journalism isn't isn't getting beat writer access and getting access to the free food buffet before the game and getting access to the players in the locker room so that you can get the quotes to fill your column inches. That's beat writing. And there's a quid pro quo that comes with that. And then there's talk radio where there's the guys who don't go to the games or, you know, they don't have to interview the players and they get to just say what they want to say. And they don't have to worry about a player shunning them for the quote that they need for their beat story. There's all, and then there's the columnist, the hard hitting grizzled columnist who gets to kind of, take the information that the beat writer acquires and utilize that, maybe a quote that they got from the coach, and turn it into a hard-hitting editorial about why a coach should be fired or why he should get an award, whatever the case is. There's all different forms of covering uh, an industry. And it's not just sports, it's movies and and all that. So so kind of my two points that I started here is I don't define my coverage of my journalism of professional wrestling as WWE-centric. Um, or, or exclusively about how WWE and that dynamic works. And I certainly don't judge myself any differently in terms of how I approach things based on whether they're choosing to acknowledge me or not. Vince McMahon invited me to Titan Towers uh, when it first opened. I was on a tour for uh, journalists covering professional wrestling, independent radio show hosts and writers, and had a, a private off-record Q&A with Vince McMahon uh, that went an hour and a half, uh, even though his he had an assistant come in after 20 minutes and say, your call is ready, and he ignored it and uh, <laughs> spent another hour with us. Um, and and I've had uh, great relationships with people in WWE on and off record. They used to call me every Monday morning and leave a message telling me ex- what the exact attendance and merchandise sales were. Um, and there's been times where Vince McMahon has called me directly to give me quotes and tell me things off record. And then there's times where they're not in the mood to cooperate or they don't think it's advantageous for them or they've co-opted certain other media members in a way that serves their purposes. And they don't want to uh, deal with people who seem less less likely to trade access for softer coverage. And so, I mean, you know, not that that's in as far as journalism goes and I define it. I, I have a journalism degree in college. I interned at a major 
uh, top market news station. I worked at a, top, a major all sports radio station for a couple of years. And uh, I, my journalism professor uh, uh, still follows me on Twitter and I follow him and he reads my stuff and he's like, wait, what you're doing is journalism. <laughs> we got involved in this debate uh, and he reads my newsletter and my web work, uh, my website work. So, you know, it, it, when people ask me what I thought, I said, well, first of all, if I disagree with Sam, I like him too much to hold a grudge. Number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two I think this really comes down to what a lot of di disagreements are. And I learned this. Uh, in a class right before journalism in college, which was the, my argumentation course in logic. And that is you have to define terms before you debate. Yeah. And I just think when you said that you were looking at things, you're defining the word in a certain way that 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 works. And for the point you were making, uh, but I just have a broader definition. And I think in the end, we probably don't disagree other than I would say your use of journalism was probably a little too particular or narrow compared to this crazy industry that I have to apply my journalism standards to. Right. And I totally, yeah, I totally agree. And that's kind of why when I first made my statement, it was this not quick one sentence, this is not real and blah, blah, blah. It was this sort of drawn out, here's my definition, here's what I think of the term, I still think this is legitimate, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think uh, I think we're right on. I, I really, though, because I don't want to uh, make this the... <laughs> Sam talks to wrestling journalists and 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 talks and beats this dead horse into the ground um, right. podcast. But what I really wanted to talk to you about this week was uh, the build to WrestleMania because I mean, to me that is is something that you're the perfect dude to talk to about this because you've seen the build to every WrestleMania. You 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 understand. I I always like talking to you because you have an understanding of. of how and why things are done, but then you always come to the table with these ideas of here's something I would do. Here's something I liked. Here's something I didn't think of, and I'm glad they did, you know, stuff like that. Um, I guess first is the general question, and we're still four weeks out, and of course we'll do another show right before WrestleMania that reanalyzes all of this, because whether you think the build of WrestleMania right now is great or sucks or somewhere in the middle, we're going to have a completely different conversation about it in three weeks, because... That's where mm -hmm. now is where it's all going to start to build up and really, really start to count. But um, what do you think of the build to WrestleMania thus far? And the reason I'm asking you is because I've been public on Twitter. Like there's a lot that I've liked so far, but I also feel like every time that I say that I like something, people take it with a grain of salt because they just saw me on the Fastlane pre-show and they're like, okay, what are we, are we, is Sam selling us on something now or is he actually giving us his opinion? So, Wade, what do you think so far of the build to WrestleMania 34? Well, I hope uh, I hope it gets better. Hmm. Um, I'll, I'll put it that way in the sense that, and we just got started post Fastlane, right? With so so I, I'm kind of taking this in a couple segments, but the SmackDown show, I, I, I what came to mind first, just because it's freshest in my mind, is is what they did with Nakamura and Asuka so far. Mm -hmm. You have two world title matches, the men's and the women's, on, on a major program uh, of theirs. And, you know, they I wish they would stop referring to it as a B-show because I think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and draws attention to something they shouldn't, just like when they say we're PG, we can't say that word. Just don't say it, but don't say you're PG, don't draw attention to it. Um, I think the whole November thing is, is, is hurting the impression of SmackDown a little bit, but you can change that by just being a great show. Right. And, and having great talent. And Nakamura and Asuka are great talents. And pe people who know their history and have seen their non-WW work or their non-main roster work uh, are really excited about this. But I hope they get more creative with Nakamura and Asuka in terms of how to present them. 
I, I want to see uh, profile pieces. I want to understand who Oscar is more than the woman with uh, English is clearly a second language with strange inflections added to words that she's memorized to say um, in perhaps an endearing way or perhaps an awkward way. I'm still deciding. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> weird. Uh, but I love I love the way Charlotte presented herself this week, and I, I want to see. I want us to get to know Oscar more. And then with Nakamura, they say he's this is a dream match for AJ. But I want to know more about him as a human being, not just the quirky guy with the funny poses and facial expressions who says need a face. I, I want to get to know them. So I'm hoping that gets better because those are the two big matches on SmackDown. And then there's whatever they do with Shane and uh, and KO and Sammy. So, let's so take I it, hope that gets better. Let's say and let's take it piece by piece because obviously there's going to be yeah. a lot to unpack in all this. But this you SmackDown... don't want me to talk for 45 minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, fun. I will honestly, if you just want to do the podcast, I'll. I'll... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. I'll interrupt me anytime. <laughs> I can. I can get rolling. Um. No, but I think I think all good points. Uh. And especially with the caveat that look, you know, we've known about these matches for all of two days or three days, you know, however many, a, a matter of days. So there certainly is time for it to start. Like, even though we knew AJ versus Nakamura was coming, I think that you couldn't really put the emphasis on Nakamura as the WrestleMania number one contender until you got Fastlane out of the way because the whole point of Fastlane was to make us believe that even though there really... It was to put Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in a certain place and to make us believe that maybe John Cena is going to win that match. Because even though we didn't think so, we were like, there, you know, there certainly is, as there always is with any show in WWE, the idea that they might just decide to put John Cena in the world title match. That's not a crazy thought, regardless of how it gets there. So we've only really had one episode of TV to establish Nakamura and AJ and to establish Charlotte and Asuka. And I would definitely agree with you in terms of explaining to the mainstream WWE audience why guys like you and I think Nakamura and Asuka are so special. But I do have to say that I think, especially in the case of Nakamura, I think there was a, there, we saw subtleties on SmackDown this week that made him feel different than uh, he has in the past. Like there were, it wasn't, it wasn't quite, heelish but there was something in there little edge yeah there was there was more edge to nakamura yeah. than i've seen in a long time and there was this like look in his eyes like i think you've underestimated aj that i've got your number um and like you know it, it was almost like this and and maybe i'm drawing too much into it but it was almost like this look and the way they interacted where nakamura was going aj I know that you know that I know <laughs> that there was an AJ before all this WWE stuff, and I know that AJ, and you know that Nakamura. You know that, that I, I felt like, in a subtle way, that was at least the seeds of that were there, and it left me optimistic that that there is a story that is starting well, to be told here, not just hey, here's AJ Styles and Nakamura. Isn't that exciting? Well, and, and that's why, you know, my, my lead sentence when you said, what do I think is this, it, it was, I hope it gets better. And, and maybe that's maybe the more, uh, a fair way to put it is I'm anticipating it. I'm, I'm hoping that it developed. It's more wordy, but I'm hoping it develops in the way I'm anticipating <laughs> in the yes. sense that this is so early in the SmackDown process. Cause they're, they wanted it. There'd be a question mark. Is it going to be AJ and Shinsuke or not? Well, until Sunday, th that, that was not settled. 
Um, and so now it is. I, I, my question for, for you as you were talking, because I don't know the answer to this, is should WWE do more to acknowledge that Shinsuke beat AJ Styles back at Wrestle Kingdom 10? Like, should should they talk about how, well, two years ago, you know, we battled in Japan in, in, a, in a stadium, and I had your number, and have AJ go, yeah, well, now it's my home territory. Like, do you incorporate... Vince doesn't like to do that. Harley Race showed up after, you know, being a, a however many time NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Um, and I used to know that, like, have it all memorized. <laughs> then, then, you know, mid upper mid-carters ended up with 12 title reigns, and I started forgetting about the numbers. Uh, but I, I think that, uh, you know, Race showed up, and he's King Harley Race. No acknowledgement of his history. The Bris I remember the Briscoes showing up on WWF television in the mid-'80s, and they didn't talk about their history, even though I had been reading about it in wrestling magazines for years and thought they were decorated – Sorry. So my point in going that far back is Vince, and, and I don't disagree necessarily with the policy, wants to create his own universe and doesn't necessarily acknowledge what happens outside of it. But I think he's sort of trying to have it both ways right now. AJ and Shinsuke talk about, we never thought this match would happen at WrestleMania. In other words, we're not saying it ever happened, just not at WrestleMania. And they acknowledge Shinsuke being a big star in Asuka, being a big star in Japan, but they don't tell us the context. Should they be more explicit in that even if it's not mentioning the New Japan brand, or do you think they're finding striking a good balance? Because to me, if you're trying to draw on the fans who know it's a dream match, I think those fans want to be honored with a little more acknowledgement of actual pro wrestling history that is outside of WWE, which WWE selectively acknowledges when they talk about you know KO and Sammy having a bond with uh, Daniel Bryan because of their pre-WWE work. So why not go a little further with AJ Nakamura to add colored and layers to their story for fans who aren't subscribing to New Japan World and aren't reading the the websites or listening to podcasts on a daily basis. I mean, I think yes is the short answer. Uh, and, you know, like when I was doing Talking Smack, I don't remember if I said Japan or New Japan specifically. I might have said New Japan, but I said— Actually, you said WWF. I, that was on the kickoff show. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, was just, I just wait for a way to give you a hard time about that. That was awesome. And by the way, Ziggler had a great comeback, too. He had an amazing comeback. <laughs> um, but I, I, when I when I talked about it on the Talking Smack, I said something to the effect of this is something – this is a match that people have been waiting for for six months, but even more when we found out these two guys were coming from – I either said Japan or from New Japan. From the second that happened, this is a match that people have been wanting to see in a WWE ring. And nobody – Obviously, obviously, nothing I say on those uh, shows I'm not, I'm coached to say because otherwise I would probably get the branding right. But um, but that was just something that I thought from the fan perspective, which is what I was trying to bring, was necessary to the story. And I do think that I think though that it has to be brought up in a certain way, like maybe maybe in some kind of video package where WWE can license the footage from New Japan. Uh, I, I don't, I think that like that, that story needs to be told from the right messenger. I don't think that that's something that like Tom Phillips should be talking about on commentary. I don't necessarily think that it's something that AJ and Nakamura should be talking about in promos because I don't think that that should be the center of this rivalry. Like I think that the, what makes this match special is that we never thought we would see this match at WrestleMania. By the way... The grandest stage of them all, by the way. The grandest stage of them all. By the way, <laughs> these two guys have competed against each other before and Nakamura won, which I think yeah. is especially necessary to the story because I think in the eyes of the mainstream WWE fan, Nakamura doesn't have a chance. So 
I think bringing that to the table does make the match more compelling. I just think it has to be done from the right messenger. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and how you frame it. I mean, if if they say tens of thousands of people uh, gathered to watch us a couple years ago at uh, the Tokyo Dome, I think you can get that specific and make it seem like it was a big match. Yeah, but but what I wish they had done is laid the groundwork with Nakamura from the, from the beginning or along the way, where he says, "Hey, I." I, I was number one in my country and, and, you know, come up with a storyline real or not, doesn't matter uh, about why he took his time coming mm. to WWE and heck even say they had to make me the right offer to pull me away from my home country. I love Japan. I love being around my family and friends. Uh, but they, it, but it, 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 in my mind, I knew I, I didn't want to retire without proving myself on the grandest stage of them all. And he can have an interpreter cover all this for him uh, and, and make it seem like, hey, yeah, I, I beat AJ in my home territory. Now I'm on AJ's home turf and play that up and have it be the home team. It doesn't mean fa- they're setting up Nakamura to be a heel, but it actually gives kind of fans permission to say, well, I, I love Nakamura against everybody else. But against AJ, I kind of want him, want him to win on his home turf. And and so you can tell a little bit more of a, of a sports story, you know, a real sports story and a, and a human story, not just this quirky, eccentric charismatic rock star story uh but a human story of somebody who 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 took his time signing with wwe despite having you know an open offer which they can make up yeah and i think that and, i yeah. think that this is a good pairing to do that with because even though nakamura and aj styles left new japan at exactly the same time aj styles and i've said this on the podcast many times spent the last you know however many it's been two years two and a half yeah. years uh acclimating himself and truly becoming a WWE superstar to the point where you don't look at AJ as an outsider in any way, shape, or form. You look at AJ almost as homegrown talent, which is insane because he's not, but the way AJ carries himself, the way he's presented, the way he wrestles, just everything about AJ Styles in 2018 and in 2017 and in 2016, it all feels like WWE. That is a WWE superstar. Whereas Nakamura still feels like uh, this attraction that was brought in from outside. Not in a negative way, just this is a guy that we never, there is nothing like this in WWE. And this is a guy that we found uh, somewhere over here, which I think adds the, to the home turf narrative. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, but this is the thing, judging it now is a little premature. So it's, or I shouldn't say giving it a final judgment is premature. Judging it at this point isn't premature because, you know, they want people excited about WrestleMania at this point, but I do, I I hope that they do more than just have Nakamura pass AJ Styles in the hallway and say, need a head. Right. Um, and, and make a face like I, I hope that they actually put a lot some some resources and energy creatively and financially into making this feel like a showcase match that might close out the show and isn't just the B brand that is a little nugget they're throwing to the to the ardent fans. Let me ask you more of a, a macro question as opposed to a micro. Let's go storyline by storyline, but just in a, yeah. in a in a bigger picture way, I already feel better and more excited about WrestleMania 34 than I have about a lot of the previous WrestleManias. I mean, you know, I think a lot of times before WrestleMania, our expectations start to get super, super high, and there's simply no way of matching in our head what a WrestleMania should feel like. But, you know, let's remember, like WrestleMania 31, for example, in uh, San Jose, uh, it was probably the lowest morale in a long time with fans that I was talking to. That was the last time that 
Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar headlined. It ended up being an amazing show, one of the best, you know, well, I don't know if one of the best WrestleMania, but but a great, great WrestleMania in the sense that Seth Rollins left with the money, with the WWE Championship. Uh, Daniel Bryan won the ladder match that year and got the Intercontinental title. Like, WrestleMania ended up being a home run that year. But going in, people were not all that excited. I think the same could be said for Dallas. Dallas was a good WrestleMania. People going in to WrestleMania 32 were not all that excited. We, nobody, we weren't really ex- all that excited for WrestleMania 30 until the Daniel Bryan thing started happening. Uh, last year, I think, was a little bit different. I think people were generally excited for it, but not not over the top. You know, it was like we were happy that we were going to finally get some resolution on the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg thing, I think. Um you know, Triple H and Seth Rollins is, is again, resolution that we were happy to get. But it wasn't like this sort of over-the-top thing. I think already, you know, at the beginning of March that we're in or, or, or just approaching the middle of March, the storytelling that's going into WrestleMania 34 and the way I'm feeling about matches that maybe on paper I wouldn't be feeling about, uh, to me, I feel pretty optimistic about the whole thing. Well, I, I think they have a, a depth of lineup in terms of what match will go on last or what match, how many matches could go on last and feel like they deserve to go on last is not the only barometer, but it's a, it's a, it's a barometer I usually apply uh, to, to WrestleMania lineups in terms of the depth of the card. And you can say the Ronda Rousey mixed tag should go on last. It's, it's, there's, you know, Kurt Angle is a legend. Triple H is a legend. They're legacy stars. Stephanie is a McMahon. Ronda Rousey is this crossover celebrity. It would be crazy not to end WrestleMania with Rousey, you know, tapping out Stephanie and it's a feel good moment. All the cameras are snapping. You can also make a case. No, no, you got to do Reigns and Lesnar. Vince wants Reigns to be his top guy. Uh, it's been a project and this is the culmination of, of a couple of years of planning and a lot of maneuvering to get Roman in in a moment where he's standing tall as fireworks blast and people cheer as the show concludes. You can also say, I don't know how Reigns Lesnar is going to go. You know, like from a match quality standpoint and, you know, what what is Lesnar going to be willing to do if it's his last match? Uh, whatever. You know, you can talk all the all the intriguing undercurrents of that. So you go, no, no. And end on a classic note and give the B show, as they call it, the, the chance to headline. AJ and Shinsuke are going to tear the house down. It's, it's going to be the best match of the night uh, it, by most people's predictions and give them 25 minutes. Just tear the house down, have AJ win, Nakamura hug. And, and now you've given a boost to the B brand at a time when it needs it in a way that doesn't cost them anything. You know, similarly, they don't have to give them more stars. Similarly to what happened between The Undertaker and Edge at WrestleMania 24. Good example. Right. And 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 then you could also make the case, and I've seen it made, Charlotte and Asuka should have mine. I was about to say, that's that outside yes. that's that outside chance. But honestly, I don't think that anybody before the Royal Rumble would have said in a million years that the Royal women's Royal Rumble match was going to headline that pay-per-view. Oh, I know. And obviously it worked out. And I, I am curious if it would have if Rossi wasn't going to show up. Well, I people didn't, I, I think it could have too. No people way, people didn't, could've. people didn't poo poo it. Like when, when oh. we realized it was happening, it wasn't like, Oh, this is ridiculous. It was okay. Let's see what this is, you know? And I, and I don't think people were generally disappointed in that match. No. And I think if Rossi didn't come out, I don't think there would have been any kind of notable uh, pushback by people going, why did they, why they headline with the women? That was anticlimactic. Like I didn't sense that was coming even it, in part because Oscar won, but in part because it was a good match that held its own with the men for sure. 
But then there's one other match that could headline, John Cena Undertaker. I was about to say, isn't it fun that, like, we've gone all this way and we haven't even mentioned John Cena and Undertaker? Yeah, it's it's crazy. So that's when you when you talk like that, I think it's sort of crazy for someone to say, uh, no, this is this looks like a weak WrestleMania. Now, again, that's where you talk macro micro macro. This is a deep lineup with uh, what I just list five matches, mixed tag. Women's world, both men's world, and Cena Taker. And by the Those way, five. who knows what's happening yeah. with Shane? Like, if that's a Shane Vince McMahon tag team, that could go on last. It, it could. Do you Do think the, Vince's gonna? You think that? I I, mean, I, I I can't. I can't imagine. Honestly, like, I would. I would guess Daniel Bryan's gonna wrestle before I guess that Vince McMahon was gonna wrestle. To tell you the truth, and that's yeah. for that's that's because a couple of things because Vince is is where he's at in his age and everything right now. And also because I don't think Vince doesn't at this moment feel to me like he wants to put a spotlight on himself in terms of on camera. Like he'll do things where they make sense, but he's been on, uh, he's been on TV twice this year, right? For the raw 25, which by the way, I, I, what I've heard is he didn't even want to do the thing at raw 25 because he didn't want to be on camera. So, the only stuff that Vince McMahon has done on camera really made sense and I think added to Raw 25 and to this last episode of Raw. I think him and his presence there added in immense ways. I think him, you know, last year with the Kevin Owens headbutt added to that angle in ways that you can't imagine. But I just don't think that he wants to put himself in a story. And he wasn't even at SmackDown. Like he wasn't, he wasn't part of the thing. Shane was at Raw, but when they did the thing with Shane, Vince wasn't even at SmackDown. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that Vince is going to be the guy. But far stranger things have happened. Uh, my, my guess, total guess, is that Daniel Bryan's going to show up next week and announce a triple threat match: Shane versus Kevin versus Sammy. And the announcers are going to gasp and go, wait, this shows Daniel Bryan has a bias towards KO and Sammy, as we've always thought. You know, Corey Graves will say this. Uh, he's he's putting Shane in a in a bad position or, or whoever. Maybe Graves is the one to say that. Um, and so it'll play into the narrative of, oh, Daniel Bryan does favor KO and Sammy, and he's got it in for Shane. And Shane will look at him like, you know, you know the next week Shane will show up and go, what are you doing? And then Daniel Bryan will assign himself special referee, adding even more intrigue, and it'll look like, Daniel Bryan is setting up Shane to get beat up and he's going to side with KO and Sammy. But the story in the end will be people shouldn't should have trusted Daniel Bryan all along. He called it straight down the middle. KO and Sammy couldn't get along. Shane gets a win. Daniel Bryan counts it. One, two, three. Clean, clean win. And Shane looks at Bryan and shrugs and go, OK, I guess I shouldn't have doubted you. That That's sort of my like really, really played out to the end guess of what's going to happen. Uh, but I, I'm not ruling out a mixed tag or something entirely different either. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, no, what you just said is a is a pretty safe bet but you know yeah no a lot of a lot of things could happen but let's get back to your original point yeah, of talking yeah. about the micro and the macro and how you know all these matches that the, 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 the card for Wrestlemania and we've probably only announced half of the matches of officially I mean I, I you can you can put yeah. together 10 of the matches but like three or four of them are not really official official so we've got we've got I don't know, one, two, three, four, five, six matches, including the Battle Royal, that have graphics. That, to me, this year, it's been 
Nothing is official until there's a graphic. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens has been announced for WrestleMania, but I have not seen a graphic for that match. It's not official. It was a foregone conclusion that Asuka and Alexa were going to be at WrestleMania, but there was never a graphic. So that like, like we've seen <laughs> graphics for six matches, and that's how you know that those six matches will be taking place. And at the Cruiserweight Championship Tournament Finals, we don't know what that match will be yet, but I think that's added the the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal. Are they gonna? Are they, have they officially announced an Andre Battle Royal yet? I assume that's a given. I would assume that that's a given, but they have absolutely not announced it, which I thought yeah. was one of the many weird things about the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal announcement. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, no, no. The Andre Battle Royal was not announced. And then, uh, are you counting Braun against Sheamus and Cesaro in some form or fashion? That isn't in my list of like five or six, yeah. but in my list of yeah. ten. So in my list of ten, I've yeah. got uh, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. Uh, that's official. AJ yeah. versus Nakamura is official. Miz versus Seth versus Finn Balor, official. Um, Bobby Roode versus Randy Orton, that's not official because there's no graphic, but the challenge was made. So there's something there. I would imagine they're going to throw gender in there. Um, Charlotte versus Asuka is official. Angle and Rousey versus Triple H and Stephanie is official. And the Battle Royal is official. The other unofficial matches are the tag title match, the cruiserweight match, and Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn or whatever happens there. And I assume uh, Asuka Naya. You mean Alexa Naya, yeah. Uh, thank you, yes, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's that's... That's a deep lineup. It's, it's, I mean, it just it just is. I mean, it's it. This is you know it's six months before WrestleMania, and people do this every year. They're like, "What's gonna What's Vince gonna pull out of his hat? What's gonna happen?" And granted, if Rousey wasn't available, he might have thrown a lot of money at uh, Batista or CM Punk, or he might have tried to get Bobby Lashley in quickly for some you know what you know he would have done something. Um, brought in a couple outside celebrities to be you know one or two celebrities to be at ringside. Maybe it would have been patchwork, but he would have done something and made something happen to make WrestleMania seem more special than just the typical loaded monthly Sunday special. Uh, but Rousey's enough. And, you know, Brock always feels special um, when he's wrestling because you don't get to see it all that often. So, I mean, yes, macro sense, stepping back, they've done a nice job assembling a, a strong lineup. And then the, the key is, and then how do they, do they help or hurt their cause or, or do they get the most that they can out of this lineup over the next few weeks. We'll get back to Wade Keller in just a moment because we got a lot more WrestleMania to break down. But you are also going to need to break down WrestleMania. And the best way to break down WrestleMania is to be there live. And the best way to get tickets in order to be live at WrestleMania, at NXT, at any of these events that are coming up is to use the service that I consider my close, dear, personal, longtime friends. And that, of course is SeatGeek. I want you guys to go ahead and download the SeatGeek app. It's not just for wrestling, it's for whatever. I find out uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce are going to do the On The Run 2 tour. And you know, I love Jay-Z. I love Beyonce too. My wife's going to want to see the show. I'm not worried about whether or not I'm going to be able to get tickets. Because in my head, I know. I, I just go to SeatGeek. I'll just go on SeatGeek because what they do is they get the prices and everything from all over the place and they bring them all into one place. Then you look at the at the seating charts and SeatGeek shows you exactly where there are tickets available. So if you want to get the best seats in the house, no problem. What SeatGeek also does is they rate them. They give each ticket a rating based on value. 
so you know if you're getting the best price. If you're not just, if, you, if it doesn't really matter where you sit, you just want to be in the building, but you want to find the best value, SeatGeek is the only option for you. It's amazing. Whatever you want to see, a concert, sporting event, wrestling show, comedy show, Broadway, whatever's around you, SeatGeek is going to help you out, and it's right there on your phone. And it probably is one of the more handy apps to have as WrestleMania season approaches. Because let's be honest, who among us is not thinking about booking a ticket to New Orleans at the last minute and just finding your way into those buildings? Well, you can find your way into those buildings with SeatGeek. Here's what you do. You download the SeatGeek app on your phone. And you know what? I believe in this product so much. I talked to SeatGeek. I got you $20. Boom. How do you like that? $20 off your first purchase from SeatGeek all because you're a listener to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. This is what you do. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. You download the SeatGeek app, you enter promo code SAM, and whatever you want tickets to, you're going to get the best value and $20 off. You'd be a fool not to do it. Get into your app store, download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code SAM, and you're off to the races quite literally. It's SeatGeek. Support them. They're a wonderful sponsor of the show. And we go back now to Wade Keller as we rate the 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 build to WrestleMania this year. How do you think the... What, what are your thoughts on the John Cena story that's been told really since December or so? Like, like for, for all of 2018, certainly, this story... I Honestly, I think that this John Cena story started when he lost to Roman Reigns. And it completely plays in. If you remember at Survivor Series, you and I had a conversation about John Cena's use at Survivor Series and how he really wasn't used and how maybe that wasn't necessary to bring in that star to not do anything. But again, if we slip out of micro and go macro, that Survivor Series thing where he really didn't do much adds in to this new John Cena character that we're seeing where he's a little bit lost and he's not exactly sure where he finds himself with this current generation of talent in WWE. How do you think the story has been told so far with John Cena over the last several months? What do you think of this potential Undertaker match? Where do you see it going, et cetera, et cetera? I I think there's been some highs and some lows. I I think there's some eye-rolling moments for a big part of the fan base who feel maybe a little insulted, like, come on, John, you have a path to WrestleMania. You, you get your pick of your, you know, he, he's, he's said, well, I wanted this match and I got stuck with this match and people think I have all to say. So that might all be true, but they don't think that if John wants to wrestle at WrestleMania, that Vince McMahon literally is going to say no. But from a storyline standpoint, if it's implied, what he means by path or road to WrestleMania is a match of historical significance. That's fitting somebody of his stature. I wish he left a little more room in his wording for that being the case. Like, you know, and it, it it's it's tough because he, you know, I mean, I, he probably doesn't have, given the things he said about uh, Baron Corbin in storylines, he could probably just go. The last thing I want is a dumpster fire match like I had at SummerSlam. I mean, he could have said that, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe he doesn't want to go back there. So there's been some some good and some bad. I I did not, I did not like John Cena telling calling Undertaker. like implying he's he's exaggerating his injuries and he needs to suck it up and that he's an egomaniac i i think that came across as at i think it was more desperate to get this match over than needed i think john cena can could have more effectively and more believably said i want 
a world championship at WrestleMania. Uh, I want to be in a world championship match. And my path was either winning the Rumble or then you do the Fastlane thing. Then he shows up and he says, you know what? I came up short and I did some soul searching. And there is a match that I told can't happen. But but I, I'd like... I'd like to see it happen while we both can do it. And that's why I'm asking Undertaker. I'm challenging Undertaker. I have the utmost respect for him. And I think this match deserves to be at Mania. I, I like that approach better. And I think fans would feel better about it. I don't think we need John Cena goading Undertaker with insults that feel like they don't ring true. That's not how Cena probably really feels. And if he does, do we really like him very much? Um, I, I, that's the part of this that, I, that I'm doubting or that, that, I'm, that I'm not comfortable with or endorsing um, because I think part of the Cena journey that he's been on the, 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 they've done a nice job setting up a foundation for it, but I think they then pushed a little too far on some of the promos and took it out of believability. Well, what do you think of the fact that he is as close to being a heel as we've seen him since the doctor of thugonomics days? Like the, the idea that at the Royal rumble, he started acting like a heel. At the Royal Rumble, he stopped caring what the fans thought and just decided, whether you like me or not, I'm going to WrestleMania. And he still does the sort of, I'm a good guy, John Cena stuff, I'm going to go drink beer with the fans, I'm going to be one of you guys, I'm going to be a fan. But, and, and, I, and maybe that's where the disconnect is, because I see a lot of his in-ring behavior, and I saw it at uh, Fastlane, as, as heelish in the sense that as he was getting booed, he's dropping the five-knuckle shuffle. And it was almost, it felt like he was telling the fans, I don't care what you think. I don't care if you're booing. I'm not enjoying your freedom of speech. I don't care about you. I'm going to WrestleMania. Um, and to me, it felt like, I didn't mind uh, the John Cena promo. The, the only thing that, again, felt a slightly off was that a minute ago he was having fun with the fans and now he's not. But maybe it's because he doesn't see himself as a heel, this character I'm saying. Because I don't mind this idea that John Cena is desperate for this match and that The Undertaker is done wrestling and he said he was done wrestling. And, you know, John Cena is going to have to personally attack this guy to get him to come back in the ring. I, I guess I, I've never minded John Cena when he starts to like get disrespectful because it doesn't happen that often. No, I mean, I get your point. The story is Undertaker, Undertaker did not, I, did he ever say he's officially retired? No. I mean, like on Raw 25, I mean, no. there's the symbolism and reading the implications. But so to me, like, I just, it seems a little undignified for Cena, a little unhinged to go after taker the way that he is and i think it comes across as seeming a little uh, lacking credibility and a little manipulative it doesn't seem true to his character and you can say well wait a second he he they told the story that you know he is feeling that people are, are referring to him as a part-timer and he's got a chip on his shoulder about that and he he failed in his two attempts but there's just a little melodrama that i that i don't think brings true and i, I think they had john and this is a compliment to john and taker not a criticism they had John Cena versus Undertaker first time at WrestleMania right there on a low, on an otherwise deep lineup. You can just say, John Cena can just say, I, I, I am not going to be in a world title match and I'm disappointed because I thought this would be a great stage to prove I'm still relevant and I'm still here. But there's a match that I had written off that wasn't even crossing my mind and people started chanting his name at me and I realized there's another big match for me. 
Undertaker, let's do it. Let's do it one more time. Let's do it, and and let's steal the show at WrestleMania. Um, I hope you'll answer my challenge. I think that there would be a, a, a respectful, dignified way that you could approach this that would be more believable. That I think fans would go, well, this this feels this feels genuine to me. That this is how John in, at this stage of his career feels, and he feels that he was sort of cheated due to circumstances out of an Undertaker match. This might be their last chance. I think that's a better storyline than having Cena say things that just fans are just going. It's not a. I don't see it as a heel turn. I just see it as Cena. It seems like desperate scripting, <laughs> like that. That's overdone or overwrought. Uh, that just isn't needed for people to be excited about this match. Do you think that there's a part of it though that if they just did the honorable sportsmanlike way that? people would turn around and say, like, wait a minute, it was heavily implied that you were done, Undertaker. You mean to tell me that, like, you came out on Raw 25 to imply that you were retired, you left your gear in the ring, you had this whole ceremony, and you were just waiting for somebody to challenge you again? I think if fans think Undertaker laying his gear in the ring and walking away but not saying he's retired means he doesn't get to wrestle again, uh, it's, it just seems a little a little petty and picky. I mean, Undertaker did not give a retirement speech. This isn't Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels. This isn't promising this is my last match. Like, how many times did Terry Funk do that and then laugh about it afterwards, you know, and people forgave him. People would forgive Undertaker for it, especially if, it, it, since Undertaker, only Roman Reigns said I retired him over and over. Undertaker never said that. So Undertaker right. can show up and get a big pop by going, Roman Reigns has been running his mouth saying I retired. I didn't say I retired. I didn't know if it'd be my last match. When I get to this point in my career, I never know if the last time I, if this time that I step in the ring is my last time. Um, you know, I, I just think there's a way to take take the heat off of that. I don't think people would think Undertaker deceived them simply because he thought if this is it, you know, that this is this is the last picture. So what do you think of, obviously he humanized The Undertaker, John Cena did, in the sense that he brought up his wife's Instagram and injuries and things like that. So the character was humanized by John Cena, which is generally not done in Bills to Undertaker matches, unless the new theory, especially with Kid Rock going into the Hall of Fame, is that we're going (laughs) to see a, a biker version of The Undertaker. And there's some credence to that in the sense that We've seen him once since last year's WrestleMania. They made a big deal last year at Mm -hmm. WrestleMania about him leaving his gear in the ring. They had all the photos. They showed that legit they left the Undertaker's gear in the ring out of respect, you know, as they tore down the ring, as everything, it was the last stuff to go. And when he showed up to Raw 25 in something that was subtle and not really talked about, but I think important, he was wearing the robe with the hood. He wasn't wearing the hat. He wasn't wearing the gloves. He wasn't wearing the coat. And, and mm. it, you know what I mean? Like, he, yeah. it, he, he didn't just get the stuff back. That stuff is apparently gone. And what do you think of this theory that we're now going to continue to transition away from the gear that he left in the ring at WrestleMania last year and that, you know, we're going to see the American badass ride to the ring? My, my answer a week ago would be different than now, but I think the Kid Rock timing and the footage of uh, Badass Undertaker. And, is, and, and, let's, yeah. and, and let's be honest, when we're telling the John Cena story and the history that John Cena has with The Undertaker, which Undertakers does John Cena have history with? It's the American Badass Undertaker. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. the American Badass Undertaker is the one that shook John Cena's hand, is the one that, that, you know, they were going back and forth in the very beginning of John Cena's career. So there's something to it, but I'm sorry, go on. Oh, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, like I said, a week, if you don't have the Kid Rock 
appearance and the idea that, well, now that kind of makes sense. And you show footage of the American badass version of Taker and, and he could do a live performance for Taker coming out. And it does fit all the things. It, it then kind of does, uh, you don't have, there's no, there's no, uh, having come up with a more convoluted explanation for leaving his ring gear, uh, setting it down and the symbolism of what it meant, he can just, it, it can just, people can realize this themselves. Oh, we assume too much when he did that. And it was retiring that character or that gear. Uh, but he's coming back and reviving that. I, I think people would rather Undertaker's last match be the Deadman character. Um, I think people might, might, I think people would like to see the Undertaker they know best uh, against John Cena at WrestleMania, as opposed to the American Badass version. It, it feels not like a discount Undertaker, but just another, another a less famous one from a past era where there's not as much nostalgia or acknowledgement for it. So it, there's a risk that it would be a letdown for fans who wanted to see the dead man versus John Cena. Uh, but that said, the, the American badass undertaker has more freedom on the mic to fire back at what Cena said to him on Monday. And so that's where, again, I'm, I'm waving a yellow caution flag. I'm not sure that was the right approach, but I, I say this all the time. Out of fairness, you got to see, you got to read the last chapter before you question the middle chapter in terms of, a, in terms of the the direction that they're going. And if they can tie this all together and make it make sense, great. The same thing with Ko and Sammy. I, right now, I don't know how they make it make sense. You know, why do they? If they weren't, oh now we got another, another <laughs> participant. Um, if uh, if I, I want there to be an explanation for Sammy and Ko not working together Sunday and suddenly working together two days later when there's not a world title on the line. I, but let's see if they can make it make sense. You know, we, yeah. we got a few weeks. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I think that it's somewhere in the middle. I think, yeah, you know, The Undertaker is going to be remembered as the dead man. That's the character everybody wants to see. If you pay a ticket to see The Undertaker, you want to see the dead man. But, you know, maybe it's a character that's closer to Mark, you know, Mark Calloway that needs to respond to John Cena because it sounded like that's who John Cena was attacking, not this character, The Undertaker. Um, and while, you know, I, I don't think, I think you can find a, a middle ground between the two characters. Like, I think the Undertaker cannot cut his hair. I think the Undertaker can still come out in black, but, you know, I think if the Undertaker comes out looking almost like he looked at WrestleMania 20, if you remember, that was that transitional where he was still the dead man. He was still the Undertaker, but he had leather pants on not tights and you know he still you could still see shades of the american badass in him he almost looked like a like a like an old school you know 19 i don't know maybe 1800s like old west movie undertaker um i i i think if you had him coming out in maybe black leather pants maybe a black t-shirt over a black you know singlet and didn't talk too much. I guess he could ride a bike to the ring if he wanted to, but it was it was a dead man version of the American badass. I think that that's where you're going to find the most success. And I do think that there is something poetic. You still can have that moment of you let Roman Reigns have the Undertaker's as the Undertaker. You let him have that last match. You you yeah. in your on your way out, you did put the young guy over, but you came back for one more, a little more Mark than Undertaker. And, you know, whether John Cena wins or loses, I think 
John's okay losing this one and, and it just becomes a happy, happy, joy, joy, feel good moment for Undertaker fans. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you make as compelling a case as I've heard yet uh, for it and having Kid Rock in the building to do right. the entrance, it, to me, kind of puts it over the top as as something that I that I can look at and go, yeah, look, somebody asked me on one of my podcasts this week the, or last week, uh, oh, maybe it was this week, even after the Kid Rock announcement, but uh, well, in any case, I, I was kind of like, nah, I think people want to see Undertaker, the dead man against John Cena. It feels like a, you know, not a, like I said, not a discount taker, but a, a less legendary epic version of Undertaker. Sure. Uh, but you just made a case that I think would absolutely be satisfying. And it does change things up from what has felt like uh, an Undertaker on the decline physically. And so you, you, you just shake things up in a way to give a fresh coat of paint to undertaker in a match that people just feel like it wouldn't be right if it didn't happen i mean how many times does steve austin get asked about goldberg or hulk hogan right uh, you know and i mean rock even i asked him about Shawn michaels once you know what do you ever miss do you, do you ever regret not having a match with Shawn michaels do you want one his answer was no he doesn't want one <laughs> but that was personal <laughs> back then uh but there's matches that just don't happen um and and they happen they don't happen for different reasons and john cena has said you know it just every year there was something else for each of us that made more sense this year, this makes the most sense. So, the, if it if it is American Badass version of Taker, it, I, I think people, I think fans will still embrace it, especially with a live performance and maybe, and that's what intrigues me about what what Cena did on Monday, a more unleashed on the microphone version of Undertaker slash Mark. And also, it's the it's the subtleties too. You don't need short red hair because you know American Badass Undertaker when he first mm. showed up was kind of okay. He still had a trench coat. He still had long hair. It was red, but he still had long hair. It was when he cut his hair short when he started wearing, you know, snakeskin pants. When he started to really depart from the Undertaker is when I think people were like, "This isn't, this isn't the Undertaker. This isn't the guy." Um, but I do think that there's a hybrid in there that would yeah. actually, it would allow last year's WrestleMania to make sense with this year's. However, the more I think about it, the more I think it's, it becomes kind of a necessity that that match closes the show. You know, if you're going to let mm. The Undertaker walking away close the show last year, the last thing you want is for The Undertaker to come back for one more. He's more human. He's left the character behind. But he can't be... To have him come back, just in my head at this moment as we speak, the idea of The Undertaker coming back to to teach John Cena a lesson but doing it in the middle of the card feels like you know, the old guy coming back for one more yeah. piece of cake or, you know, one more one more bit of glory as opposed to it's still just as big, you know, and it's only been a year and and yeah. So so, so what so is your is your official vote, at least for today, it can change. Right. But your official vote today, Taker Cena should be the final match. As we speak, yes. Because yeah. because I don't I think that like last year's WrestleMania was a a truly like amazing, beautiful, special moment in the world of wrestling fans, and you know I I think that that long term is more valuable than Ronda Rousey getting her hand raised or the AJ Styles. I I think AJ Styles and Nakamura going on in the middle of the show in the Rock Hogan spot is just as good as going on at the end. I think that they are that yeah. they will be absolutely fine. People will still leave WrestleMania going, that was the match of the night, and then we got to say goodbye to The Undertaker. I want to leave WrestleMania 
knowing that I saw John Cena lose and that I got to now say goodbye, not to the character, I got to say goodbye to the man who gave us years of The Undertaker. Like that to me is this kind of amazing poetic story and and way to go out, you know? Well, and, and with not knowing what's going to happen with Lesnar and Reigns and how that's going to go. And right. Expect, I mean, it could just be Superman punch, spear, one, two, three, and Lesnar's in front of that crowd for counting ring entrance for a grand total of less than six minutes. That's a possibility. Sure. Um, he might be so clocked out at this point. WWE might be so finished with him, or they might go out and just go, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm going to show people, I'm going to out of spite. I'm going to be a professional and I want to have a 20 minute match with reigns and go out with, uh, you know, we'll go out with a bang in case this is my last WWE or pro wrestling match. But it, I, I think there's enough unknown about that X factors that, you know, Vince might in his mind have thought, well, no Roman reigns is being cheered against this part time, uh, guy who doesn't like human beings, much less fans, uh, losing that. I want that to be the closing scene because Reigns is my guy. I think Vince in an ideal world would want that, but the, from a pure artistic lineage, fans-friendly standpoint, uh, Taker Cena and the way that you draw it up does trump Charlotte Asuka as a statement. Let that go on last. Or AJ Nakamura to help give a boost to SmackDown because it'll be the best match. Or anything with Shane and hopefully not Vince. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I or, or the Ronda Rousey thing, which I think feels that feels a little too gimmicky uh, to go on last. Not that they haven't done that, you know, Bigelow LT. There's been gimmicky matches, uh, but I, yeah, I think in the end, Cena Taker is is the logical choice as the hype stands right now to be the final match. And, and I think you you make a compelling case to change minds if that's not what they're thinking is right now. Especially because Ronda has now no-showed one Raw. She's She's been, you know, it's not that she's been bad. She's just been a little bit underwhelming in her performances. I, I, in my personal opinion, I kind of think people would rather see Braun Strowman in that slot than Kurt Angle. Um, you know, there, there are things working into that match where on paper, it's this star studded, amazing thing. And I think that it is, it is a perfect WrestleMania match, even as it stands. I just, that, that is the match that the mainstream is watching this show to see. That's not the match that people are paying tickets to see. Like it is, it's like Cena's proposal. It has that, it has that little bit of that. Right. Right. It's, you know what it is to me? That match is... I think it was in Dallas when The Rock did a segment with the Wyatt family. Remember that it was it was it was unannounced, and The oh, Rock yeah. came out, yep. and and the Wyatts interrupted him, and Bray had that amazing promo. He had this one second of just amazingness when he said, "You know, I didn't come to knock on your door; I came to tear it down." And like it was for a second, Bray was amazing, and then The Rock took off his workout gear and he had his tights on and he beat Rowan and and he did the whole thing. Um, to me. That's the that's the Ronda match. Like that moment is the Ronda match in the sense that we'll talk about it after, and it's a very cool moment and all this stuff, and who knows where it leads. But it's just not like people left WrestleMania last year going, "Man, I love wrestling. Man, I love this stuff." Like I forgot, I love wrestling, and I think that 
yeah, I think that I think that John Cena and the Undertaker does that. Let's talk about. Um... Okay, I, no, I just go have ahead. to say real quick. Yeah, uh, if you really gave the fans what they wanted, they would just end with Rusev against anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. they would just have Rusev uh, take out Carmella, take her Money in the Bank briefcase, and interrupt Roman and Brock and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and cash in. Oh um, man, that'd be... it's amazing watching what Rusev has done over the last couple of months. Just I, it really. It really reminds you that the the fans still can control a lot, um, and it's been I, I, and it's been great to see Rusev have he the match at the pay per view with Nakamura was super competitive I thought, and the match with AJ was really really competitive. So even though he's losing those matches, uh, I still think he's better off for him. And they're protecting like on on SmackDown they protected him. Yo, you know, yeah, they had a clean finish. Yo, so. yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that Nakamura needed the clean victory because he's going to WrestleMania. But still, Rusev looked incredibly strong in that whole match. I, I liked your comment on the kickoff show. Just like, is you know, who are the? I can't remember your exact quote, but you know, you acknowledging the fans might be siding with Rusev against Nakamura. Yeah, it was something something to the effect of of, you know, is Nakamura the only guy who can distract the fans from their love of Rusev Day, or are they going to cheer him anyway? Yeah, because yeah. that's I mean that's it's it's amazing what's happened to him. Um, okay. Let's talk. Oh, real quick, do you have any thoughts on the May Young or the the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal controversy? You know, I, I was kind of surprised when they announced it, and I wasn't shocked by the reaction that a lot of people online had, um, given the fact that over the last couple of years, a lot of stories about May Young's behavior outside of the ring have come forward, and I kind of thought that that's why. I mean, not May Young. I'm sorry, fabulous Moolah. And I kind of thought that that's why they went with May Young in the tournament, the Mae Young Classic, right, for yeah. the network because they knew that there was all this other stuff. Um, were you surprised or do you have a reaction to the uh, to, to the fabulous Moolah having the Battle Royal announced after her? And more specifically, the video package that was played kind of touting her as, as a, a, you know, such a, a role model and a, and a huge proponent of an advocate for women in, in wrestling. Well, I, I would say this is why people need to depend on non-WWE sources to learn real pro wrestling history. Because WWE, and, and understandably so, people I, I know people who are good people who work for them, and they understand their job is to is to spin and put the best light possible and tell the story that they want to tell. And and that that's WWE's job. They're not independent journalists. They're not they're not an independent documentary. They're they're self promoters. But this was and, and this was pushing too far and and i mean uh they've got you know De david bickens bixen's fan has an article up on deadspin about this and I, I know a lot of the women got a backlash i i uh, a prominent wrestler texted me after the video and said what are they thinking look at the twitter feeds of the women who were saying nice things about moolah they're getting lambasted um uh women in wwe one of them texted uh dm me this morning and just said i didn't know about moolah's history till yesterday i can and, believe that yeah, so it, it WWE's gotten away with with championing Ultimate Warrior uh, as a hero, and he's said some of the most vile, despicable things about gay people, about Katrina victims, um, about women, uh, and and on and on, and and that's flown under the radar for a lot of people. Um, Johnny Gargano, until recently, had a Warrior T-shirt on on his Twitter profile page. Um, Warrior Warrior said some of the most despicable things I've heard any human being ever say during a span of time, and he never retracted them. Um, and yet they portray him in the opposite as some sort of, you know, positive role model. And he's just so not. His character 
maybe was, uh, if you take a very narrow definition of it. So I think WWE felt like, well, we kind of get away with stuff. We're so powerful in terms of getting our message out, and we can kind of write the history we want. And I think there's times where it's very smart to do that. I mean, you want to... You're, you're, it's like a political party. I mean, you know, the, the Democrats put a video together at their Democratic convention about Hillary Clinton. They weren't talking about the controversies. They were talking about things that they thought their audience wanted to hear so they'd feel good about her. That's WWE's job. With Mula, I think they went too far. Um, and I think that it, it it is a step too far and it's going to backfire. I think they put some of the women in a bad position, just as I think they put a lot of the wrestlers in a bad position wearing warrior gear. Uh, people who don't think that uh, being gay is 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 a is a crime and that you should be uh, shunned from society, um, or that Katrina victims are to blame and their lives were better off after the hurricane um, than before, or they aren't much worse because they lived in terrible conditions of their own doing. I mean, warriors said some horrible things, and they had wrestlers out there wearing his T-shirts who didn't know he said those things. So I I think this is catching up to them. I think women who were asked to be in that feature or are going to be asked to be in that feature are are in an uncomfortable position now. And it's a difficult position for WWE, you know, to, to re they're not it's not their policy to say, oh, we made a mistake and it's embarrassing, but we're going to rename the Battle Royal, you know, the, the Alundra Blaze Battle Royal or something or Wendy Richter Battle Royal. But that certainly would have been less controversial and, and a safer route to go. Um, the video they did on Mula was fantastic, but it was a complete work of fiction. <laughs> it's just there's. <laughs> There's, I mean, we talk about it on, on our uh, podcasts. Uh, Bruce Mitchell has done shows on the VIP Torch podcast talking about Mula's history uh, in, in great depth over the years. This isn't new information. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they stepped in it, and I think there's a chance it could backfire big or there's a chance it'll dissipate in the next few days. We'll see. Um, yeah. Let's go to uh, the main event then uh, of WrestleMania, theoretically, that uh, has started uh, to, I think, I'm... I'm happy with the build so far, and I've read the criticisms behind Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns and the way this is being built in the sense that some of what Roman Reigns is doing is hypocritical because we all kind of know that Roman, <laughs> the main reason that Roman Reigns has been booed by fans is because the fans' perception is that Roman Reigns is Vince McMahon's boy, and he has gotten special treatment, and he has gotten all these opportunities. But I think if we... Take this in the context of just allowing Roman to say what he's saying. He's not wrong about Brock Lesnar. Like, is Brock Vince's boy? No. But is Vince giving Brock special treatment because he loves how much of a big star Brock Lesnar is? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, does Brock have a schedule similar to other wrestlers? No. You know, is is a frustration with the fans and the perception that the fans have that the other wrestlers are frustrated that Brock doesn't defend the title every month even. Yes, that is a frustration that fans have. Um, so I think that because the criticisms, while they might be hypocritical, are true about Brock. And, you know, Roman, I think, in the last couple of promos, has come across as this is really me and I really do kind of care you know, at least I'm here, I'm working, I care about my work. And, you know, I I really liked going back into gorilla position and seeing Vince and Shane together. And it just felt like, because number one on Raw, SmackDown they do it. But on Raw, they never go into gorilla position on TV. I don't know why, it's just a choice that gets made. But if you watch SmackDown, they'll go into gorilla position pretty often. On Raw, they never do it. So the idea that we saw gorilla position on Raw... And we saw Vince in gorilla position. And we saw Shane sitting next to Vince with no explanation as to why 
the guy the shoot from brother. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we start going like, oh, you know, I know normally, you know, that that Eric Bischoff description where he goes, I know normally, you know, that's it's fake, but that that's real. That's real right yeah. there. And as much as we know it's not, we still it it it, it we are, it, it acknowledges stuff that we as hardcore fans are aware of and it allows us to suspend disbelief and I care more about this Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar match than I did when we kind of knew it was coming say at the Royal Rumble like when when Nakamura wins the Royal Rumble you kind of realize okay you know the raw guy didn't win because they didn't want Roman to get out of another boot out of another Philly building because of the Royal Rumble you know, it's going to be Roman and, and Brock. And we kind of knew it was coming. And even at Elimination Chamber, it was like, oh, okay. Like, you heard the reaction that Roman got. I think since Elimination Chamber, they've done a great job of making me and fans have a reason to care about this Brock Lesnar-Roman Reigns match. And and they were on a good path. And I thought Roman cut arguably the best, maybe the best promo of his career a couple of weeks back. Mm-hmm. And, and they you know, risked uh, and it's turned into a bigger deal with how many people are paying for tickets for shows where the top stars aren't appearing, Lesnar and Ronda Rousey. So it's kind of, there's a sidebar story to it of is it really fair storyline wise to have wrestlers you're advertising and selling tickets based on not showing up as part of the storyline to get over the storyline. If that is the hundred percent reason Lesnar wasn't on these shows that he was advertised for, if then that that's a whole other sidebar is is that right to have fans pay 150 bucks for a ticket to see Brock and then write him out um of the mat, of the show and not have him appear in any way is that fair so that's setting that aside the storyline aspect of it I, I really liked for all the reasons you said and then it's sort of like the Mula video like it, it it's one thing to say we're going to name the battle royal after fabulous Mula because she's most identified with the women's wrestling she held the title for so long you can do that but then they do the video and they glorify her and inflate her importance and glamorize and romanticize and it, it, so much and then ignore this dark side, a very dark side of what she was like behind the scenes and, and her fascinating history. People should seek out information on it because it's, it's, it's a fascinating, dark history of women's wrestling that, that she was the henchwoman of. Uh, but they had to make that video. And then people are like, wait a second, that's too far. That's what I felt for that line, Vincent Mann's boy. Huh. Um, I felt that that was too far. Bruce Mitchell wrote one of my favorite columns he's ever written this week in the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter. And the headline he wrote is Vince McMahon kills the con. And uh, one line in his, and I don't do this very often, but one line in his column here, a little a couple sentences is, here's the thing about any con. Uh, and he sets this up about, you know, framing it as a con, uh, other examples of con and different analogies and stuff like that. Uh, but here's the thing about any con. A grifter can't afford the mark to experience that false moment that ruins the illusion. And that was the false moment. I can't, I got so many emails from people who were going, I was on board with this. And I got calls into my show after Ron Monday too. People are like, I was on board with this. And the word they were looking for is that false moment. It popped the bubble. It was a mistake to send Roman Reigns out there and to have the gall to say, have Roman Reigns, Vince McMahon's boy, everybody that this storyline was targeting are people who know for a fact and their mind cannot be changed that Roman Reigns is Vince McMahon's boy. He's his pick. He's his chosen one. And so when Reigns said it, as Bruce wrote, you could almost hear the illusion of Reigns' remaining chances to get over with those fans pop. And I felt, again, a step too far. 
And I, I think they've got some, some recovery to do. Now, that said, can they recover from this? I think they can uh, because I think Reigns has performed well on the microphone. But I think it's a lot harder now because I think a lot of fans feel insulted. Um, I, I'll read one more line from Bruce McCollum. That one phrase from Roman Reigns, let the marks know the one thing a grifter can never let them know, the contempt the grifter has for them. Once the mark knows that, nobody gets paid. And I, I think fans were on board for the reasons you said until that line. And now they're like, what's Vince trying to pull over on me? I know better than that. He wants me to buy that. So I, I think if, if Reigns doesn't get cheered and Lesnar gets cheered, we can point to Raw as w- the time that they lost their way and they went one step too far. Uh, I, I hope that's not true because I'm not rooting against Reigns. I think he's a hard worker and I think he's a little tone deaf sometimes in some of the things that he says and does. I thought he was a little rude to Renee Young and a little rude to Kurt Angle who dared to want to talk into a microphone after Roman asked him a question and he's like, don't touch my microphone. Uh, there's little things he does that I think don't serve what his ultimate goals as a character. But I just I want to see him get on course and have this work because Vince is clearly committed to it. And so much was done right and so much was done well and sacrifices were made and risks were taken to try to get the crowd on Roman's side. And I thought Monday was I think they stepped in it on Monday. So I think they have some work to do. That's interesting. And it's just the one line. I do think that there is it's certainly recoverable. I think that if they go back to like Paul Heyman and what Paul Heyman said on Raw a couple weeks ago, when he started talking about the universal title and how, uh, you know, the champion has to be ready to defend the title and the champion has to be on Raw and the champion can't be at home with his sick dad, the champion has to be the blah, 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 blah. I mean, it was so, so hypocritical in the sense that Brock is none of those things. Brock is like the universal title should be on TV every week. The universal title should be defended every pay-per-view. The universal, like... If you want to talk about the responsibilities that the Universal Championship entails, Brock doesn't meet any of them. So I I think if the story shifts back in that direction where it was, um, and and by the way, I I think it's okay if there's tension between Vince McMahon and Roman Reigns because ultimately Vince McMahon is the one that is letting Brock Lesnar get away with all this stuff. I just think that you're right that you know, I, you know, I think one thing they could do is have Vince call Roman out a little bit and say, like, let's not pretend you haven't gotten your share of opportunities, Roman. Like, you know, maybe maybe have Vince turn around and say, what's Roman, are you a little bit upset that you're not my boy anymore or something? You know what I mean? Well, like, what about this, Sam? What about Vince says, Roman, I've given you every opportunity. I put the machinery behind you. And every week you go out there and fans boo you. I have put money behind you. Yeah. I have put promotion behind you. I have put the machine behind you, and people still don't like you. And all of a sudden, Roman feels like a victim. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like, think that that's and great. People feel sympathy. I, maybe something like like that can work. I, and because this 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 was a compelling story, and I like Lesnar and the Universal Champion. They have so much to work with, you know, in terms of turning Lesnar heel. Uh, and Heyman should be able to do it too. And I, I, I t- I'm, I'm glued. To, I'm going to be glued to my TV set. Well, I always am. It's my job. But I'm glued <laughs> to my TV set every Monday night because I want to see where they go from here. I just, I think they need, they Vince needs somebody to tr- who he trusts to to put some of the stuff through a filter so it doesn't, it doesn't become inc- you know where fans are just rolling their eyes going, what are you trying to pull now? I was with you until then, till now. Well, I think. In a big sense, this is, uh, as far as WrestleMania seasons go, this is a very, very 
strong WrestleMania season. And it's nice that it's not coming off of a dead fall. You know how sometimes like we lead into the winter, into the Royal Rumble with a fall that's been like, sometimes the period between SummerSlam and Royal Rumble is really dead. And it wasn't, and it hasn't been. And I, I think that we're in a very, very good place, generally speaking, headed to WrestleMania. And I think that there's no reason for us to believe that, that, they 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 have all the ingredients that they need yes. to make for a very very compelling memorable show and a and a three weeks leading to a a very memorable three weeks leading to that show. Um, so wait, I uh, I thank you for for joining me today. Why don't you let everybody know where they can get all your stuff because the library that you guys have on PW Torch is uh, it's pretty incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got our uh, free shows during the week that I host. I host four shows per week. They're on two different feeds. One is the post-Ron, post-Smackdown show, and the other is our Thursday flagship and our Interview Friday show. Just search Wade Keller, and both a red logo with my face on it and a blue logo with my face on it will show up. Just subscribe to both. They're both free. You can also become a VIP member and gain access to what Sam talked about, um, which is uh, our, our 30 plus years of archives, which by the way, includes podcasts going in depth on fabulous Moolah's history, if you're curious about that. Um, and it's an ad-free website and ad-free archives. And then you also get my free shows uh, with ads and commercials removed too. I We do over a hundred podcasts per month, the whole team. So, I mean, there's, there's going to be things just for you. Great, great shows dedicated to NXT, ROH, Japan, uh, and more. So uh, if you want to become a VIP member, just go to pwtorch.com slash go VIP. That's pwtorch.com slash go VIP. I'll give you eight bucks off, 80% off a one month sub because you're a Sam Roberts listener. If you do uh, Sam 2018 as a coupon code when you sign up. So uh, $2 gets you a full month of WrestleMania season coverage. That's... So uh, ch- check it out for two bucks. Yeah, $2. Uh, Sam 2018 is the code. So definitely uh, subscribe if you're one of those people like me that like just, you know, massive amounts of content and just like scan it through because it's so fun because you're one of these guys, you know, now it's not that difficult to find interviews with guys to get behind, you know, there's behind the scenes stuff every day. But and that's that's kind of what the wrestling journalism debate is all about. There's just so much of it that there's a ends up being a lot of bad stuff. But yeah. I oh I mean I just enjoy so much going back for me to like the time when I was a kid like the early 90s the mid 90s too when right before the internet was really big when it's yep. like you didn't really have this stuff if you had a if you you might have had a newsletter mailed to your house but you have like audio interviews from back then you have all this stuff that I think people don't even really know exists because it was before we were inundated with all this content so go check it out uh and sign up for the VIP. Wade Keller, thank you very, very much as always, uh, and I appreciate you being on the show. Sam, thank you so much. I always enjoy our talk. Here is Sam Roberts. I always love talking to Wade Keller about this stuff. So big thanks to Wade Keller for being uh, a part of the podcast this week. Of course, I would recommend downloading all of his content over at PW Torch. I do also want to apologize. Last week, we're, of course, back in the Not Sam studio. Last week, there were issues with the recording of the State of Wrestling, because as you know, I was snowed in in a hotel in New York City. I had to have my portable recorder with me. I guess that the 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 wire, the connections in the wire were not as good as I thought they were. I went back after I, I saw people complain, because I didn't catch it for whatever reason when I was editing it, but I heard people complain on Twitter and things like that, so I went back and I heard what you guys were complaining about, 
and I tried to go into the original file and just replace the audio so that anybody that stopped listening last week, they could replace it with a file that worked, but it wasn't, it, it was something wrong in the recording itself, which made me believe that it was some of the, the wires that were connected either into the microphone or into the recorder were not good. We're not connected right. So I really apologize for that. We're back here in, in beautiful Not Sam land, and I appreciate you guys rolling with me anyway and uh, listening. A lot of you obviously did listen because I got a ton, a ton of tweets when Asuka came out uh, at, at Fastlane, and you guys were like, are you booking? Just tell us the truth right now. Are you booking the show? Are you booking Mania this year, Sam? Because if you are, we're fine with it. We just want to know. Tell us the truth. Tell the truth. No, I'm not booking WrestleMania. Although, if anybody wants to use my podcast to book WrestleMania, please, by all means, help yourself. My ideas are not uh, private. My ideas are not, uh, they're, they're for whoever. My ideas on this podcast are fair use. You know, the reason why I put out ideas that I think are cool here on the podcast is because who knows? Maybe somebody will use them. I talk about stuff that I would like to see. So if I end up seeing it, great, great. Uh, it was so fun being a part of Fastlane. I, with each show, just to, you know, take you guys inside a little bit, with each show that I do with WWE, I try to really more and more embrace attempting to be the voice of the fan. And, and while I know I'm not going to, uh, my opinion is not going to match everybody's opinion because everybody's got opinions, uh, I do at the very least, try to give takes that are not always so typical WWE stuff. Sometimes I end up saying WWF. I try to be the voice of the fan, and all you guys want to point out is that I said WWF. So there's that. But <laughs> um, but I do, you know, more and more try to get in there and maybe either ask questions or bring up points of view that aren't necessarily going to be asked on TV. So, you know, hopefully everybody enjoys it. I know I enjoy doing it so much, and... and Talking smack, I can't tell you how fast that show goes, man. It's so much fun to do because, you know, it's just me and Renee and the guests and, and we're talking the smack. Um, and it goes really quickly. And they load it with content and everything, but it's it's just fun to get to sit down and really have a chat and break down stuff because that's what I'm used to doing. That's what I do here on the wrestling podcast. I did get one tweet or so from somebody that was like, hey, are we getting a post-pay-per-view podcast? And I was like, bro. Turn on talking smack. How much can I give you? How much content do you want? But thanks to WWE for having me again. It was so much fun. I can't wait till WrestleMania. And if you want to check out the kickoff show, which had myself, Renee Young, Booker T, and David Otunga, or Talking Smack, where Renee and I welcomed Charlotte, Randy Orton, and Shane McMahon, which, I mean, as far as guest list goes, you couldn't ask for much more. Then check them out. They're on the WWE Network. I think the kickoff show is also on WWE's YouTube channel. Speaking of YouTube channels, uh, I am updating mine as we go. Of course, I was away for the weekend. It's just me. I'm a machine here. Uh, but the podcast each week goes up at YouTube.com slash NotSam. And video interviews, when applicable, also go up. And the Luke Harper interview will be up very, very soon in video form over at youtube.com slash not Sam. All right? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I think it's time that we break down Fastlane, uh, talk about some of the storylines uh, leading towards WrestleMania, what we're going to see that weekend. Lots to talk about. And we're going to talk about all of it this week in the State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. 
Yes, it is. It's time for the State of Wrestling only here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Of course, we do it uh, on Facebook Live as well, so if you want to tune in, sometime on Wednesday afternoon, usually late in the afternoon, I jump on my Facebook and hear from the Not Sam studio. I record the State of Wrestling, and so if you hear me reading uh, uh, comments while I'm doing this, that's where they're from. You can get there at facebook.com slash notsam and just click like the page, you know. Like the page. Let's get in. It's the top five stories of the week as I see them in no particular order. And people say, well, then why do you do the top five stories if it's not? These are the top five stories in my eyes. I just don't necessarily list them one through five. They're more of a narrative, right? They they more make sense to me for the segment. Now, we're not talking about the... There's a couple things that we aren't really going to dive into. We will a little bit with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, but we talked about Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar a lot in the first segment of the show with Wade Keller. We also talked about the fabulous Moolah Battle Royal with Wade Keller, so that's why that's not in the top five stories. Otherwise, the backlash about the Moolah Battle Royal absolutely will be, but that was in the interview segment, so if you want to hear that, go back to the interview segment because it's time to get into it. The number five story of the week is Fastlane, of course. Let's uh, let's break down what happened on Fastlane. Uh, everything that I didn't get to break down on Talking Smack, which is a lot of the show. I thought Fastlane was a very good show. I thought Fastlane did exactly what I wanted it to and exactly what I wanted. It's what I talked about on the, on the kickoff show. It painted the picture. It paid off storylines that were building to Fastlane and then painted the picture for what SmackDown is looking like as we head into WrestleMania. So we'll start from the beginning, the Nakamura-Rusev match. I thought it was super effective. Nakamura, of course, had to win that match and had to win clean in order for us to take him seriously as a threat to AJ Styles' WWE Championship at WrestleMania. But Rusev looked super strong in that match. He did not, you know, plow over Rusev in any way, shape, or form. There were moments in that match where it looked like Rusev could have won. And I think that that was important as popular as Rusev is getting. As much as the fans are cheering Rusev and Rusev Day t-shirts are selling out, you have to, you have to make Rusev look strong. And they absolutely did uh, at the show. So, that I mean, that was really well done. I also thought the other thing that was well done ended up being the tag match, the tag team championship match. And we covered this a little bit on SmackDown, on Talking Smack, but it was interesting because... I was listening to the crowd reaction. And when the Bludgeon Brothers came out and interrupted the match, at first it was all boos. Boo! Because everybody was really looking forward to the Usos versus the New Day match. Everybody was really psyched about it. Um, And then when the Bludgeon Brothers came out and interrupted it, and you realized you were going to get a schmoz or a non-finish or whatever you want to call it, which, by the way, you want to talk about schmozzes and non-finishes, go listen to the Captive Audience show on Stitcher Premium for WrestleMania 9. My God. But... But uh, those finishes are not really tolerated in 2018 as much as they were back then. So at first people were really upset, but I thought that the beatdown was so convincing and the Bludgeon Brothers were just so brutal about the whole thing. Xavier Woods getting slammed on the stairs like that. The whole thing came off so effectively that I didn't find that people were mad. You know, I don't, I don't think people were mad about it at the end of the show. And it was interesting, even at the end of that match, it was interesting listening to, at first people were booing because the match was interrupted. And then slowly the boos dissipated because we were seeing this amazing thing. Now I can only imagine that that means a triple threat match 
at WrestleMania. I wonder how many triple threat matches they're going to do at WrestleMania. Like, we've got the triple threat intercontinental title match between Miz, Seth Rollins, and Finn Balor. Theoretically, we'll get into the U.S. title match at Fastlane, but it lo- it's looking like you're going to have another triple threat match for the U.S. title with Bobby Roode and Jinder Mahal and uh, 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 Randy Orton, of course. Triple threat match for the tag. Can you do three triple threat matches on one show? They're going to have to switch some stuff up. I think if if the tag team title match ends up being a triple threat between the New Day, the Bludgeon Brothers, and the Usos, there's going to have to be some kind of stipulation involved. Maybe it'll be a ladder match. Maybe some kind of no... If it's a no, It'd be cool if it was a no-holes-barred match or a Texas Tornado match or something because then New Day could use all three members if there's no disqualification. But... Yeah, I don't know if it'll be a, a ladder match or there's got to be some kind of stipulation for that for for that one, I think. I think the Intercontinental title match should not have a stipulation just because I think it's going to be great with those three guys in it. You know, you could do a stipulation for the U.S. title match, but I probably wouldn't. I think the stipulation belongs in the tag title match. I also, I think it's exciting when you see tag matches with stipulations because you see them a lot less frequently than you do single matches with stipulations. But I, I did think uh, it would be, it, it, it was cool to see the crowd, the, the Bludgeon Brothers win over the crowd with that beatdown. It was cool to see the Bludgeon Brothers like at first get booed and then go like, oh, okay, I'm interested in this too. Because the boo was not like, boo, here come the bad guys. The boo was, boo, you're ruining this thing that we're all invested in. But the Bludgeon Brothers got everybody reinvested. So that was really cool. And I'm also excited that uh, the Bludgeon Brothers are using their mallets. You know, that they're not just stunt mallets anymore. They're actually using their mallets. And the mallets look good on SmackDown. When they hit the chair out of their hand, when, when the Bludgeon Brothers hit the Big E's and I think Jay or Jimmy and the Uso that was with Big E, when they hit those chairs out of their hands with the mallets, the mallets looked really good. They didn't look like stunt mallets. I believe, I was like, Jesus, those are strong mallets. So uh, I thought that was really, really good too. John Sosa says, has a great point. He says, the roster is oversaturated with actual likable talent, which is true, which is true. I mean, that's, that's what's going on. You have to plug everybody into WrestleMania because we want to see everybody. Uh, Sean says, uh, not Sean, uh, Chris says, bring back uh, one of Money in the Banks with both rosters. You can't. There's a Money in the Bank pay-per-view. So, and that's going to be dual branded. So, you know, you can't do it at WrestleMania. Uh, what else did you have at Fastlane? Uh, the women's title match was uh, good. You know, it was good to see Ruby Ride or whatever. But, of course, the moment there was Asuka coming out. You know, uh, let me say this. Before we get into that one, the other women's match, the tag match, I love that they're having Carmella get wins right now. So often, the money in the bank holder does not get wins because they figure, ah, they got the briefcase. They don't need wins. Now, this could be bad news. This could mean that Carmella is going to unsuccessfully cash in the money in the bank and they're trying to protect her right now, but I don't think so. I personally still believe and I don't know if it'll happen at WrestleMania or if it'll happen right after WrestleMania. I believe that Asuka's first defeat will be at the hands of Carmella. I mean, you want to you want to get heat on a bad guy. You want to get the fans to boo a bad guy, which you know I'm all about. That's the way to do it. Carmella? Yeah. 
I, I, I fully believe that Carmella will get Asuka's first defeat. You know, I think the Asuka thing was done perfectly uh, at the pay-per-view. Uh, and, and we talked about it a little bit with Wade Keller earlier. I thought, you know, it's interesting on SmackDown. I thought Charlotte was really, really good on SmackDown, actually. Charlotte, her facial expressions, the whole thing. It was just like you're being reminded how serious of a threat to anyone Charlotte is, which I think is very, very valuable. But, yeah, I, I, I thought that, you know, the timing was good. It was a secret. You know, Asuka was not around the building all day. She was ushered in, in, in under a shroud of darkness right before she went out there to keep it a secret from everybody, even though a lot of us hoped that it would happen. Nobody knew it was going to happen, which is when stuff works the best. So it was really exciting that she made that happen at Fastlane, which is what you wanted Fastlane to be. That's what I mean when I say it started to paint the picture for what WrestleMania is going to look like. That was necessary. Uh, U.S. title match was all, all the matches were actually quite good at Fastlane, I thought. the uh, Randy Orton really does remind you why he's in the position he's in when he goes out there. Randy Orton is just so good, and he just keeps getting better in the ring. Like, in his matches, he makes everything look effortless. And, you know, even down to the RKO, like, I'm st- I am still, after all these years, I still find myself being impressed by that RKO when he can just slide in and hit it as Bobby Roode is jumping off the top rope, my goodness. Now, I'll admit, you know, I think that in hindsight, I wouldn't have, I didn't predict it, but I think that putting the U.S. title on Randy Orton is a good thing because I am having some trouble getting excited about the whole U.S. title scene. And at least putting the title on Randy Orton mixes it up a little bit. But I think after WrestleMania, that whole thing is going to get kicked into gear. And... Honestly, if we're looking at the WrestleMania card right now and we're talking about, you know, a, a, a lot of depth on that WrestleMania card, we're talking about, like, Miz and Finn Balor and Seth Rollins is a huge match, Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, uh, the mixed tag with Ronda Rousey, AJ Styles versus Nakamura, Charlotte versus Asuka, Nia versus uh, uh, Alexa, you got the women's battle royal, I'm assuming there'll be a men's battle royal, but who knows, they haven't announced it yet. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn doing something with Shane McMahon, which we'll get into in a moment. I, I would ima- I would not be surprised. You know, the tag match we were just talking about. You got Braun Strowman involved in the Raw t- tag match, so you got a lot of matches. You're not going to put Braun Strowman on a pre-show. You're not going to put any of these big main event caliber matches on a pre-show. You're not putting Charlotte Nosk on a pre-show. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if that U.S. title match ends up on the pre-show historically you have three matches on the pre-show and sometimes it's crazy you remember last year they were gonna put the smackdown women's gauntlet on the pre-show and there was backlash on it so they changed their mind and dean ambrose intercontinental title match i think with baron corbin if i remember correctly was what was on the pre-show and that was a big match i would not be surprised if i had to guess right now I would probably say the Cruiserweight Championship is another pre-show match, just like last year. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the U.S. title match is a pre-show match. Now, the pre-show at WrestleMania is still a pretty big deal, and it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal as these cards get more and more loaded. But I don't know what you'd put on the pre-show instead, unless there's going to be other stuff 
because you know there's still high profile people that have not been put on the card so i really wouldn't be surprised if uh uh if that u.s title match ends up on a pre-show um so let's get into the main event the six-pack challenge it was aj styles defending against john cena kevin owens Sami Zayn, dolph ziggler and baron corbin look at me naming names um and this match it kind of succeeded in all the ways we talked about it succeeding on the podcast. Like I think I think we we knew exactly how this was going to go. It it was the setup. I said on the podcast that I would put Sami Zayn versus Kevin Owens as a match at WrestleMania. Now, I don't believe that match is actually going to happen. I think we're going to we're going to pivot and there's going to be something else involving Shane McMahon, which again, we'll get into. Um but it did a remarkable job of setting that up and, and setting up the stuff with Shane. Shane played a pivotal role because I felt myself getting upset for Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn at the fact that Shane had just taken away the championship from them. That the boss had stopped the worker from winning. You know, that was a big deal. So, you know, I, I figured that that would happen and I hoped that it would happen and it did. I hoped and figured that John Cena would leave after losing and kind of be lost and it did. AJ Styles would come out looking strong. I hoped and he did. Like, it, it was exactly what that match should have been and put us in the exact right place, in my opinion, leading to WrestleMania. Um, we talked about the John Cena and Undertaker stuff in the beginning of the show with Wade Keller. So I'm not going to hit that, but... I'm going to go right in to my top, to my number four story in the top five. Uh, I see John saying, if Andre the Giant was still among the living, Sam would be getting his coffee. Can you imagine if I got to get Andre the Giant his coffee? I'd be so excited by it. I would think it was so cool to be able to do that. Um, Tom is suggesting you want heat. Have Samoa Joe come back and destroy AJ Styles and Nakamura at the end of an amazing match. I, yeah, I mean, I guess. I see what you're saying there, but, I mean, all you... that's WrestleMania is not the place for that. You know, to just have... to Because not, that's not even real heat. Like, yeah, you'd boo Samoa Joe, but what you'd really be booing is the fact that you didn't get a finish on this match. That's not, that's not heat. That's people leaving unsatisfied. And that's not what you want at a show like that. Uh, so story number four is that the McMahons are back. The McMahons are back on TV. I can't believe you walk around in this world of storyline. By the way, I tweeted out a thing that said like uh, something about the McMahons and their staff morale because everybody, they all the McMahons have problems with somebody. And there was actually a guy on Twitter that was like, Sam, it's a storyline. And I was like, yeah, what do you think I'm talking about? You idiot. What do you, th- what do you think I'm talking about? Um, <laughs> but it really is remarkable that all of the McMahons are going into WrestleMania with problems with people on the active roster and ready to fight, apparently. You know, um, of course, I, I thought, as I said earlier on the show, the Vince segment on Raw was really effective. You know, I, I agree with Wade Keller that Roman should not have described Brock as Vince's boy because, you know, Roman has been Vince's favorite guy for a long time, and fans know that. But other than that, I thought the segment went off really, really well. And going into gorilla position and and seeing Vince McMahon and doing that whole thing, I just thought I thought that the first ten minutes of Raw 
were a fabulous 10 minutes. We're really, really great 10 minutes. And it was fun to see Vince McMahon back on TV. So you got Vince McMahon and the fact that Shane McMahon was next to him on Raw made you feel like it more like it was real life. So you got you got Vince McMahon who's on TV now and he suspends Roman Reigns. And it people were reporting, you know, on TV Roman Reigns is, Roman Reigns was suspended indefinitely. They never said indefinitely. They said as of right now Roman Reigns is suspended for further notice. Indefinitely means like for a long time. Like indefinitely means he might not come back. Roman Reigns is coming back. He's suspended for the moment. Um, you know, I, I think that they got to get Brock on TV. They have to get Brock Lesnar on TV to do something. But, uh, you know, I, I but of course Roman will be back for WrestleMania. And I think that they're, you know, some people think that this is a, a, an attempt to get people to cheer for Roman Reigns. And, and it is. Of course it is. And I don't know if they'll be effective in that. But what they are effective in is making me care about this match. Even if I'm still not going to sit there, if I'm just a typical fan, I'm still not going to sit there and maybe cheer Roman Reigns like he's my favorite good guy. But I care about the match. Whether I want to see Brock Lesnar win, whether I want to see Roman Reigns win, I just care about seeing it. There's a story built in. The things Roman Reigns are, is saying about Brock Lesnar resonate with me. And I've been wishing somebody would have said that. And that's why I think it's good. But you got Vince and his problem with Roman. You got Stephanie and her problem with Ronda Rousey. Again, somebody that really should be on TV every week. It's it was it startled me that she wasn't on TV now. She she's next three Raws, we have to see Ronda Rousey. Um and I don't know why she wasn't on TV this week. It, it was really odd though, especially since WWE had just made a big deal out of the fact that she'd be on TV for the next four Raws and because when Ronda signed, she said she was signing a real main roster deal where it wasn't just like half-assing it. So to already be missing TVs is a weird thing. Um, but it's still, you know, once she's back on TV, she's going to be able to get your interest back in this story. Um, but then to also see Shane and his problem with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, it's like, man, these McMahons cannot help but get themselves involved. These are an emotional people. It was reported that Rousey was planned uh, for a mandatory medical test and that she'll be there at the next three. I really hope she is. And it could have just been, it could have easily just been a mistake. WWE, you know, one guy screwed up and then the article went up and, and a whole bunch of people. But um, yeah, I would really hope she's at the next three. And I, I don't know, who knows if she will be. I thought she would be there this week. Uh, but she's, yeah, she's got to be there. Um... But the question is, we know Stephanie McMahon's role at WrestleMania. She's going to be in the mixed tag with Triple H, Kurt Angle, and Ronda Rousey. We don't know Shane McMahon's role. It's clear to me that he's going to be wrestling. So, questions have come up. Is it going to be a tag match where it's Vince and Shane versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn? I don't think so for the reasons that I said with Wade Keller earlier on the show. Is it going to be Daniel Bryan returning to the ring to tag with Shane against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens? I still think that that's a distinct possibility, but I'm not going to be able to tell you that until I see Daniel Bryan back on TV. It's weird that Daniel Bryan's not on TV because since November, 
they've been making this the biggest storyline on SmackDown and Daniel Bryan is so involved that you would think that he would, you know, be there as part of this ongoing story, but he's not at the moment. The other thing that Wade Keller suggested was that maybe it'll be a triple threat where Daniel Bryan is the special referee and Daniel Bryan will count the one, two, three, allowing Shane McMahon to win and everybody's friends after that. I think that Daniel Bryan, I think any of the three options work. I think that Vince McMahon as a tag team partner option is probably the least likely. I think Daniel Bryan as a special referee is probably the least exciting. I think if you have Daniel Bryan as a tag team partner to Shane McMahon, you've got another main event match at WrestleMania. If you've got Daniel Bryan as a special referee in a triple threat match, you've just got a match at WrestleMania, you know? And here's the here's the issue. You can say all you want that Daniel Bryan is hurt, he hasn't been cleared, blah, 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 blah. And that's fine. That's fine. I believe you. He's never going to wrestle. He's never going to wrestle, whatever. First of all, if he can't wrestle, I don't see how he can be a special guest referee because referees take bumps. But if he can't wrestle... You simply cannot get him this involved in storyline. Like, it's not fair to the fans. Because I've been talking about this since Survivor Series, that I think Daniel Bryan's going to wrestle at WrestleMania. And while I think that less now than I did then, I still think it could happen. Um, But we all know he wants to wrestle. He talks about how much he wants to wrestle. When you create tension surrounding him as a character, to not have him wrestle is going to make it a disappointment. So I hope that he does. I still, I mean, I still think a compelling story can be told between Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Shane McMahon, but it would just be so much better if like, you know, Shane McMahon accused Daniel Bryan of siding with him. And he goes, not only am I not siding with him, I'll tell you what, I'm going to tag with you. You want proof? Me and you versus Sammy and Kevin. You know, something like that. Maybe... Maybe next week on SmackDown, Daniel Bryan takes charge and he levies a punishment against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and they jump him. And you know you're going to get excited the minute Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens jump Daniel Bryan because that means he's back. That means he's going to get back in. So, I don't know. A lot of things could happen, but it's left me very, very interested about, uh, about SmackDown. And I see it says Daniel Bryan refereed not too long ago. He did, but he was a co-special referee. It was Daniel and Shane McMahon as the referees. And even then, it just added to the tension between them. There was a shove in that match. Like, they put their hands on one another. It just makes me want to see Daniel Bryan wrestle. And if he's not going to wrestle, it becomes tough. Um, There's lots of possibilities how it can be done. Yes, there is. Uh, To be honest, you could announce Shane versus Daniel 15 seconds before you send them out. And that... uh, Pop would be the most notable moment of the show. I agree with that, but you're not going to see Daniel Bryan versus Shane McMahon at WrestleMania because that wouldn't pay off what Shane McMahon did to Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. So you're going to have Shane McMahon opposing Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens in one way or another. Now, the reason why a triple threat makes sense is because they've been flirting with this idea of Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn and the fact that these friends don't actually get along all that well. And if it's a triple threat, then that makes sense that Daniel Bryan would be a referee. But the fact that they work together so well against Shane McMahon on SmackDown leads me to believe that maybe it'll be a tag team scenario. So who knows? 
Who knows? Steve says four-way. I don't see four-way happening. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think it's either going to be a triple threat with a referee or a tag match. Personally, that's what I think. Um, Let's go to story number three, the NXT North American Championship. Spoiler alert, normally I don't talk about NXT spoilers, but they put this out on WWE's YouTube channel. Kathy Kelly has already reported on it. We all know NXT is announcing uh, a third champion, or fourth, I guess, championship to go along with the NXT championship, the tag team championship, the women's championship. The NXT North American Championship, I think it's I think it's good. I think uh, they might have to start adding another match to these takeovers because usually it's three title matches and one non-title match at takeovers because that's all the time they have. It's supposed to be like two, two and a half hours. So they might need to start adding to it. But I think for house shows, for storyline purposes, for a lot of stuff, having a mid-card title is a good thing. And I think it can act a lot like the Intercontinental title uh, used to act in WWE as a stepping stone, like that you know late 80s, early 90s Intercontinental title. I think... That way you don't have to keep signing big names and just giving them a championship program right away. You know, I think like guys like uh, Ciampa, guys like Gargano, uh, a lot of guys. Aleister Black is going to benefit from this. All these people would have and will benefit from a North American championship. So, and Triple H spoiled it too, says Sean uh, on Facebook. So, at uh, TakeOver New Orleans... We're going to see a six-way ladder match, which sounds awesome. It's Killian Dane versus Lars Sullivan versus Velveteen Dream versus Adam Cole versus Ricochet versus EC3. Really interesting, by the way, that Ricochet and EC3 are both using their outside of WWE names. Like, that's just a thing that they're doing, which I think they could have easily changed Ricochet's name. And they decided not to. I just think it's I just think it's an interesting choice, um, and shows that they're doing something different. You know, when when Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and Finn Balor and all those guys showed up to NXT, they didn't they hadn't figured out. Samoa Joe was really the first guy to sign an NXT deal where he still got to be. I think where he still got to be Samoa Joe. He didn't go through the Performance Center. He didn't go through any of that stuff. He just joined the NXT roster right away. And that was something that Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn missed. Now, I don't think that it hurt any of those three. I think they probably benefited from some of the stuff they got. But it is interesting that now, you know, like I don't think Ricochet needs to report to Performance Center training. Maybe he does. I don't know for sure. But it seems like... This new generation, the EC3s, the Ricochets, the names that get brought in uh, just get to go straight to the roster and are on the road right away, and that's it. Um, I love what Aleister Black is doing with his Twitter, uh, kind of uh, uh, putting down the indie guys, which that would be not only Ricochet, but that would be EC3, even though, you know, TNA and, and I'll get into Ring of Honor in a second. Those are not indies, but he means guys outside of WWE. So he's putting down guys like Ricochet, guys like Adam Cole, guys like EC3, and putting himself uh, on a pedestal, which I think is good. You know, I and it'll be interesting to see what happens with this North American title match. Uh, who do I think should win right now? I don't think Adam Cole should win because I picture Adam Cole as more of a heavyweight championship guy. I think Adam Cole should be NXT champion of the world at some point. So I don't think he needs the U.S. title. 
I I don't think Killian Dane or Lars Sullivan need it just yet because they're just they're monsters and sanity you know is it doesn't need it and Lars just tearing apart the roster is still good. Uh, so you're left with Ricochet EC3 and Velveteen Dream. I think that I think that you want to get the Velveteen Dream over as a good guy. But I, I, Ricochet is kind of a natural good guy too. So I think either Velveteen Dream has to win as a heel and Ricochet starts chasing him or EC3 wins it as a heel and Velveteen Dream starts chasing EC3. And that's really the option that I would go with because how fun would it be to watch? Because I don't think Velveteen Dream is going to get booed. Like I don't think he can be a heel right now because he's so good. How fun would it be to have... Velveteen Dream and EC3 up and down these roads. How fun would it be to have Velveteen Dream chasing EC3 for the United States Championship? I think there could be some magic between those two. That's probably what I would do with that North American title. And that way, and then you could crown Velveteen Dream at the next takeover, whether it's in, where, where whether it's, you know, I guess they usually do one with Money in the Bank, right? So maybe it'll be there, or maybe it'll, they'll wait all the way till Brooklyn in August. Who knows? But I think that I think Velveteen Dream should be crowned in a one-on-one match, either at the next takeover or the takeover after that, and maybe EC3 walks out North American champion uh, at Takeover New Orleans. Number two story: Braun, Braun, Braun Strowman, Braun Strowman. So, right, by the way, see Kenneth saying uh, I think Dream is going to go heel which is a good setup for him winning and then Ricochet chasing him. He can try to go heel, but Velveteen Dream's not a heel. Um, Braun Strowman takes out the entire WWE Raw tag team division in a battle royal and then is left to challenge the bar at WrestleMania. Now, I felt two ways about this. First thing I thought was this is really interesting and a unique way to use a talent like Braun Strowman. Like, this feels like what I would do with my action figure federation when I was 10. Like, I just had this big monster of a guy. If I wanted to book a monster in the territory, I would absolutely, in my Hasbro federation, I would absolutely have one guy win the tag team championship. And I'm sure I did multiple times. I would recycle a lot of ideas when I would book the territory. But I'm sure I did multiple times. This is right out of like a a thing you want to do in a video game or a thing you would do with your action figures, which is why I think it's fun. And it certainly is a great spot for Braun Strowman. It it, it allows him to continue to be this monster, right? It allows uh, Braun Strowman to go to WrestleMania, not take a backseat to anyone. Let's keep in mind, last year he wasn't even on WrestleMania. So he doesn't have to take a backseat, you know, and he gets to show how he's a monster. Is Braun Strowman going to have a tag partner? I, I don't, I mean, if you did, you'd almost just have to make a comedy act out of it. Like, either get Goldust or Kurt Hawkins or somebody like that to be Braun Strowman's partner, which you could do. But I think if you're going to do this, you have to commit to it and have Braun Strowman challenge for the tag titles. When Braun Strowman challenges the bar for the tag team championship, I think it's essential that Braun loses. You know, and I don't know how you do that because you kind of want... Braun's the future of the company. You kind of want him leaving WrestleMania as a success... And, you, you know, so you want him to dominate the bar, but it really, on the other end, as I'm watching this, I'm going, that's really cool for Braun Strowman. And then the more I'm watching, the more I'm going, 
This is why tag teams will never be in the main event. This is, I mean, tag, the, the, the entire division looks weak now because one guy was able to take all them out. No one guy should be able to take out one of the top tag teams in WWE, right? So it did, it did make the tag team division look weak. And if Braun Strowman goes to WrestleMania and beats the bar, I don't see how your tag team titles recover after that. So here's the question. Is it worth giving up your tag team division for however long you have to give it up for? Because it's going to take a long time to rebuild it. Is it worth giving up the Raw Tag Team division to make Braun Strowman look unstoppable? That's the decision we're left with. I think... Part of me thinks yes. I mean, is that crazy? Part of me thinks yes. They're not doing that much with the tag division anyway. I think the bar is amazing. But other than the bar, like, I wish the Good Brothers were amazing. I wish the Good Brothers were amazing. They're not. I wish Titus Worldwide was amazing. They're not. I wish uh, 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 the Revival was amazing. They're not. Like, what exactly is going on with the Raw Tag Team division? Maybe the whole thing does need to get scrapped. That's probably what I would do. I would probably have Braun Strowman win the Tag Team Championship and then at another pay-per-view start developing a new tag team. You know what would be interesting is if Braun Strowman wins the Tag Team Championships... And then the Authors of Pain come in, the Raw after WrestleMania, and at Backlash or whatever pay-per-view is after WrestleMania, Braun now has to fight the Authors of Pain and can't beat the Authors of Pain. You want to get the Authors of Pain over? Have them beat Braun Strowman, because Braun Strowman can survive that. He's one guy having to wrestle two giants. Braun Strowman can survive that beating. But it gives you a chance for Braun Strowman to look strong at WrestleMania, it allows you to completely refresh the Raw Tag Division, which it does kind of need. And, I mean, I feel bad for Sheamus and Cesaro. You have to figure out some way that Sheamus and Cesaro don't, don't look like complete jokes. Because that's the one team in the division that can probably recover from it. Like, I would love to see Authors of Pain versus The Bar. And that that's probably what I would do. I would do a thing at WrestleMania where Sheamus and Cesaro had some kind of out, but Braun Strowman still looked like a million bucks because I want to get Braun Strowman over. That's my priority. Then have the Authors of Pain beat Braun Strowman at the next pay-per-view. Then have the bar chase the Authors of Pain. That's probably what I would do. And it's a little bit controversial. Uh, it's not worth it. I think they'll make Elias' partner. It's not a bad suggestion, Grant. I wouldn't be surprised if they made Elias... Braun Strowman's partner, Kurt Angle says, you need a partner, and your partner is Elias. Now, if Elias is Braun's partner, then you've got an easy way out. The bar can just pin Elias, and then Braun Strowman can kick the crap out of Elias after the match. Um, so that's something. Um, yeah, Chase is saying, Braun and Elias, I'm telling you, Sam, it will be short-lived, but it's going to happen. It could. It could certainly happen. I would not put Braun Strowman with a partner, personally. That's me, though. Uh, let's go to Ronda Rousey. That's story number one. Ronda Rousey, no showing on Raw. And we kind of talked about that before. I mean, it was a bummer for the show. It was tough to realize that you're just watching a review from last week's segment. Stephanie McMahon wasn't there. Triple H wasn't there. It's like, that's a lot of star power to not be there. John Cena had an amazing Undertaker promo. I liked it. Wade Keller didn't like it so much. I liked it. The Roman Reigns segment was great at the top of the show. And the Braun segment was controversial, to say the least. Some people liked it, some people didn't. But I, it was the show was lacking without Ronda Rousey. 
Hopefully. Hopefully she will be there soon. Andrew Jones says Braun and Sam should team up. Look, I don't know if Braun's ready for that. I'd steal a lot of that spotlight from Braun. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would get beat. I don't I don't I don't want to be in the bar in in the ring with the bar. Are you kidding me? You see what Cesaro went through? His teeth got jammed up into his gums. He was like NBD. Incredible. No, I don't want to be anywhere near those guys in a physical capacity. All right. I thank you all. It will be Braun and Joe, says Mark Shepard. I doubt it. I don't think so. Uh, thank you all for being a part of this week's State of Wrestling and of this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget about Stitcher Premium for all your premium needs. And we will see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.